0: I can see your heart eight billion different ways. That line gets me every time. It's so easy for us to forget that each person is made in the image of God. How precious they are to Him. We're all so annoying to each other all the time, right? Right? We get in each other's way and it's easy to lose sight of that. I can see your heart, God's heart reflected eight billion different ways. What a beautiful picture. Let's pray together as we come to God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you that we are made in your image. that Each and every person on earth is made to reflect who you are. And God, sin has tainted that. It has covered the mirror. It has made us Unable to reflect that well, but Jesus, by your sacrifice, you have made it possible for newness and life to be found again, for us to be able to reflect our Father again. As we study your word this morning, we pray that you would clean that mirror a little bit more. You would help us to see you a little more clearly so that we can reflect you a little better to the people around us, that your heart in us can shine through more clearly. We want to see you, God. We want to know you. We want others to experience that too. We pray that you would help it to be real in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our journey through the promises of God, the things he said to help us as we follow him to help us to trust Him, to help us to know that even when we don't see how any of this could possibly work, when we're facing hardship and struggles and all the things around us seem to be falling apart, that He is with us, that He is for us, that we can trust Him, that He is working through all Things. These promises that we've been talking about are so important because they tell us who God is. And they tell us a lot about who we are too. How God sees us, how deeply He loves us, how much He cares for us, even how excited He is to walk with us. We've said it before, God loves you, but He also likes you. He created you and he thinks you're fascinating. He wants to walk with you and he wants you to be with him forever. Forever. It's a weird idea. Forever. Eternity. And that's what we're gonna be looking at Today. Easy, right? In the next you know, twenty, thirty minutes, we're gonna unpack eternity. No problem. We got this. No big deal. God has promised you that you can spend eternity with him. Do you want that? What does that even mean, anyways? Well, turn with me this morning to John chapter three. We're going to read the first 15 verses of that passage. We're not going to read the big one. You all know that one. (laughs) So much disappointment. Oh, that's the good one. We have that most famous verse at the end of this passage where John writes to us about the true heart and mission of God, the true depth of his love for us. John describes that for us in this verse that is so famous and so profound, but so often we don't see where that verse comes from. We know John 3.16, but do we know the first 15 verses of this passage? It comes right out of the words of Jesus himself. Sitting with Nicodemus in secret where Jesus just for a moment goes deeper than he normally does. See the the teachings of Jesus are all of course unfathomably profound. But he usually uses very simple stories. Simple metaphors that the people would be able to connect with the truths that he was sharing with him. But in this passage... Jesus goes off the map a little bit, and he gives us a glimpse of the true mystery of what is going on, what he is doing, and it completely breaks Nicodemus' brain. One of the leaders of the ruling council, this is a powerful and well-learned man, and he is left utterly lost. But at the end, Jesus tells him, there is life eternal. John chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. I just said that. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. This passage is gigantic. Jesus is telling this man to his face. That there is a spiritual reality beyond our understanding, mysterious, flowing, but somehow deeply connected to what we are. And he's inviting us to understand it and experience it and even live it forever. It's incredible, it's, it's exciting, it's wild, it's so confusing, but here it is. Jesus lays it out for us. Everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. God promises us that we will have eternal life in Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? Does this idea, this this reality even make a real difference? Or is this just some kind of wishful thinking for nice things after we die to help us kind of deal with the uncertainty of, of death? This whole idea has been contorted and distorted in a thousand, thousand ways over the millennia that people have wondered about what happens after we die. Every culture in history has built stories and ideas about what happens after we die. Complex rituals and pictures of golden kingdoms. Great people of the past. Friends and family all waiting to welcome us. A never-ending party or perfect life somewhere else. Or reincarnation until we're good enough to reach some kind of nirvana. This nebulous, positive, spiritual, energy, place, thing. And Christianity has fallen prey to the same traps. Trying to be maybe more literal than... These things can really be understood. Jesus says, you don't understand earthly things. How are you going to understand heavenly things? And yet we try to draw pictures of these things. Golden streets and pearly gates. And there's St. Peter standing at the front with the book of life. Like some kind of heavenly bouncer. All pieced together from half remembered pieces of verses. Mushed together. And it's not inherently wrong. Because we do want to know. We do want to understand, but we frame everything from our perspective. What life on earth looks like, and we wonder things like, will there be golf in heaven? Will there be beaches to sit on? We all remember, especially when we're kids, but I mean, don't lie to yourself, you still do it. Asking things like, is your favorite thing going to be there? Or is life going to be the way I always wished it was? We treat it like a resort. A really nice vacation. The perfect retirement. And even as I say that, and when we think about it really, and we're honest with ourselves, we know that's kind of dumb. And we'll walk it back to kind of, well, heaven will be really nice anyway, whatever it looks like. And we'll just leave it there. But this matters. And I'm not about to put up a different blueprint for what this is all going to look like. That's not what we're doing this morning, don't get me wrong. But understanding eternity clearly matters because it's not just about then, it affects now. Understanding what God says about eternity affects our lives here and now. And we don't have nothing to go on. God does give us tiny glimpses. But those glimpses don't really line up with the fantasy picture we've cobbled together from half-remembered scripture and mythology and pop culture. We also recognize that that even in those glimpses, just as Jesus said right here, we will not understand heavenly things. But one of the most amazing pictures we have painted in Scripture, it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, is Revelation chapter 4. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 4 together and prepare to be confused. Where John has this vision of the throne room of God. And we have to remember that in this whole book, but especially in this vision, God was clearly doing a lot with John here. This isn't intended to be just straightforward. God is communicating a ton here. And this isn't, again, the point is not to try to lay out blueprints and draw this out and figure out exactly where everything is positioned, taking measurements and stuff. God is taking John on a spiritual journey through fantastic things. Giving him particular insight and shaping his perception for a very specific purpose as he led him through the vision of writing this book. But there's something here that I want us to see and understand this morning because it lays out one particular truth that is inescapable and frames this whole reality of what eternity really means. Revelation chapter 4, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald, encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a living, flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures Give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Amen. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What is heaven? Heaven is where God is. And what does it look like? God is worship. Heaven is where God is and where he is worshiped. That's it. That's the reality. Look at this picture. It's fantastic. It's spectacular. It's so overwhelming that it's bizarre. God is on his throne. And the experience of of seeing it is, is so magnificent that John can't even begin to describe it. A rainbow shining like an emerald. The being himself shining with light and color that is glorious. A sea of glass and peals of thunder and lightning. Surrounded by beings that are beyond description. And those beings themselves, fantastic as they are, can only fall on their faces in worship of God. That's what John saw. And this kind of experience aligns with other pictures that we have in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 7 and other places. John 14, heaven is where God is. And we are so ill equipped to understand or even begin to describe what it's like to be in the presence of God. All we're left with is to be in complete awe of this one who is everything. Heaven is where God is and where God is worshiped. And that truth is. Fundamentally important for us to understand because it doesn't just matter then. If heaven is where God is and where God is worshiped, then that's what God is inviting us into here. Now, the invitation to new life in Jesus is not about making life nice here, it's about becoming worshipers here. It's about aligning ourselves with the reality that God is here and now. Not about getting stuff here and now. We picture heaven being simply a wonderful place, but the reality is that it's not. For so many Heaven would be the worst thing they can imagine. And if our hearts aren't right, it would be for us too. Because it's where God is and that's not what they want. Heaven isn't a nice place, it's where God is. And to us in our fallen, broken, sinful nature, that is terrifying. Heaven is ultimately the place where the only thing that matters is God. And that matters now because that's what God's preparing us for. As we embrace the work of the Holy Spirit, burning sin from us, shaping and molding us. It's not for us just to be comfortable or anything. It's so that we can be with Him. Experience Him. Enjoy Him. Worship Him. Now and forever. God is inviting us into eternity with Him. But it's not just into a big nice party. It's into eternal, pure, complete relationship with Himself forever. Is that what you truly want? In his incredible book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, go and buy it and read it just right now. It is amazing. C.S. Lewis says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is opened. Heaven is where God's will is done fully, completely, eternally. And it's where we are aligned with that truth, fully, completely, eternally. For so many people, that's not a pleasant picture. That's not what they want. Heaven is supposed to be where they get everything they've wanted. Where all their dreams come true, and eternity certainly is that. But the place we get exactly what we want is hell. And the place of true life and true joy is where God is worshiped exactly as he deserves. Is that what you want? God's inviting us into that. In John 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. 2 Corinthians 4, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Luke 23, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Philippians 2, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That you may also be where I am. Present us to Himself. Today you will be with me. Every knee bowing and tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Does that picture excite you? Or annoy you? Is God in His glory the deepest desire of your being? Is relationship and connection with Him the most precious thing to you is his spirit and presence the most wonderful gift in your life then eternity will be everything you could imagine and more God has promised us that we can spend eternity with him and his spirit is preparing us for that here and now shaping us molding us drawing us deeper into humility and submission To our Father. To God Himself. To that being sitting on that throne. And filling us with the desire to worship. Do you want that? This morning we're going to celebrate communion together. Trusting. God's word that we can spend eternity with him. And acknowledging how that happens. We're going to invite you to come forward. And if you're here with your family. Maybe send one representative to gather the elements on your behalf. Pastor Scott will hand them to you. we will have plates for you. And he'll he'll, uh, spread these things out. But we want to recognize. That it's only by the blood of Jesus that any of this is possible. And recognizing that we trust him. With what he has promised. That we don't understand all that eternity will be. But we know it's where God is. And we want to be with him. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it. And said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father God, we bow before you and we say thank you. We don't understand these things. This is more than we can know. But we trust you. You have said that we can be with you forever and that that is enough to be with you and we don't understand. Father, we are feared with so many confusing ideas and fears and uncertainty, but help us to trust that you are enough, that you are truly everything we could ever need. And help us then to experience that even here and now. Even in fallenness and brokenness and imperfection. Help us to pursue and desire you. To worship you. We thank you for your church that we can do this together. That we don't have to try to figure this all out on our own. That we can reflect you to one another. And encourage and challenge one another in this journey. And we thank you for the blood and sacrifice of your Son that has made all of this possible. As we celebrate this today, Father, we pray that you would allow us to experience your forgiveness new and again. Make us whole once again. And allow us to understand a little bit more deeply the life, the eternal life, that you are inviting us into. In Jesus' name, amen.